Brothers and sisters, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you learn from us how you ought to live and to please God, as in fact you are doing, you should do more and more, for you do know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of, your, of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from fornication. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. And uh, again, I thank you for being patient with me this morning. I promise to be on time next Sunday. I, uh, I stopped at the Catholic Church, and the doors were locked, and I stopped at the Baptist Church, because, you know, churches will know where churches are, and the Baptist Church was locked. I finally stopped at the Nazarene Church, and uh, they let me in, <laughs> probably because Nazarene used to be Methodist, so, you know. Um, but anyway, I... Uh, a few weeks ago, I went to the post office uh, to purchase a stamp, and as I was standing in line at the post office, um, a man in front of me said to the woman behind the desk, uh, behind the counter, said, um, I'm going dancing. And, you know, she just kind of didn't respond a lot. She just kind of halfway grinned. And so when she didn't respond much, he said, I'm 84 years old, and I go dancing twice a week. And uh, so, so I had to do him one better. So I said, well, I'm 73, and I go to college. Um, I take a, a music course. And, uh, but, you know, it, it wasn't really a brag. It was he and I were celebrating together the fact that at any age we can all use what it is that God has given us, that our passion, that, that we can use what we are created for. So anyway, as, um, as we were leaving, and I was getting into my car, and he was getting into his car, and he hollered over to me, and he said, have a nice day, honey. And, and you know, that man has inspired me so much that I'm still thinking about that day. Um, and it wasn't so much that he's 84 and dances twice a week, which is a good thing and inspiring in itself. But what really inspired me was his joy. His jo he had such joy in him that it, it was just such an inspiration to me. And... Um, I don't know about you, but when, when I go to the post office or I go to the grocery store, uh, this is mundane for me. I don't have a lot of joy in those little details of life. But he, he had joy in just the most minute details of life. It just shone all around him. Have a nice day, honey, he says. And, you know... Some people might think that was a sexist remark, but I think maybe uh, in a different place in a different way. But uh, all I could see in this man was that he couldn't help himself. He, he, just, he was so filled up with joy that he just couldn't help himself, and it just shone through to everybody else. There's a, a man in the Old Testament that I'm sure Pastor John has talked to you many times about. His name is Paul. 
He's one of the superheroes of the faith. Uh, Paul wrote one-fourth of the New Testament. And Paul is writing from uh, a prison cell. And he writes to the Philippian Christians about having no anxiety about anything and in all things have joy. And upon first looking at that, you think, is this guy crazy? And here he is in a jail cell for Christ's sake. And I do mean for Christ's sake because that's why he was put there, for doing no more than preaching the gospel of Christ. Now, um, as an aside, the jails in the first century Palestine were not like our jails today. I was, I was in Walgreens the other day, and I overheard a conversation where um, one man said to the other one, hey, buddy, I haven't seen you in quite a while. And the guy says, yeah, I've been locked up. And then he goes on to say, you know, the conditions in this jail were so horrible, next, next time I'd rather go to prison for six months than have to go to the county jail. Now, I understand about being humane, and I understand... It was a good thing for the city of St. Louis to put in air conditionings in 110 degrees. But what I heard him say was, next time, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to commit a crime again, but next time I want better conditions. And, you know, and I wanted to say, I'm sorry, did we not have a swimming pool for you? Did you, did you not get a five-course meal? I'm really sorry. But uh, the, the, the jail cells that Paul was in, they were nothing like that. They were down in a deep down in a cave, and you had to get on a rope or have a ladder, and they would go down, and they would just um, uh, be dark and musty and no light. And the thing is, uh, Paul really didn't know whether he would ever get out, whether he would ever be free again. And yet, this is what he writes in Philippians 4.1. Brothers and sisters, whom I love and miss, you are my joy and pride, he says. My joy. I have joy. Not knowing how long, if ever, he would get out. You are my joy and pride. Do not be anxious about anything. Now, I consider myself a fairly joyful person, a happy person. But to have that kind of same joy that Paul has when you're in the most devastating and the worst situations. So here's the question today that I have for you and I. How do we get that? How do we get that kind of joy that Paul talks about? We all know about the bad news in the world. And then there's those personal things that happen to us that maybe... Uh, maybe our health or something happened to our children or something at work, and we all have these concerns that we have. How do we have that kind of joy that sustains us on those really bleak days like Paul? So I've given a lot of reflection to that, and uh, based on my life's experience and also on the Bible, and I think that... uh, one of the, when I look around and I see people with real joy, they're, first of all, there are people who don't let other people how to tell them how to live their lives. There are people who do not listen to naysayers, but they get their nourishment, their spiritual nourishment from God.
And I'm uh, sure that, uh, you know, when I, when I saw Mr. Bojangles at the post office, I'm, I would imagine that he has children. Uh, I can imagine that maybe a son might have said to him, Dad, you better quit this dancing or you're going to fall and break your hip and then you won't be able to walk. But this man, he knew who he was. And he knew that he was created to dance. He was created to dance. God had called him to dance. And he wasn't afraid to step out and be who God called him to be. And I do know this. I have learned one thing, that when we step out and be who God calls us to be, when we do that, and metaphorically speaking, whether, it's, whether you do the two-step step or the macarena or the waltz or, or whatever your dance is, that God, the Lord of the dance, will go with us the whole way. So I think one of the keys to joy is to listen to the voices of God and not um, be thrown by um, having other people tell us how we are supposed to do and think. Secondly... Uh, It's been my experience that um, people who have joy are people who reach beyond themselves. Have you ever noticed that? You look at a joyful person, and they're a giving person. Uh, I don't know if you, do you have a prayer chain here at the church? Uh, No? Well, anyway, I know that word gets around when somebody needs prayer. Um, And think about the times that uh, you're sitting there and you're feeling bad and you're feeling uh, and you're worried about things and then you get a a text message that somebody went to the hospital or somebody's having a problem with their children something's happened and you text back some words of encouragement there's an old poem that says the highest things in life are on the uh, the best things in life are on the highest shelf in order to have them you have to reach beyond yourself and um So you text them or you send a card or you make a phone call or you go see them or something. And you find out that, you know what, you're not so worried anymore about yourself. Not because somebody else is having worse news than you, but because you were able to reach out and something happens in that. So uh, how does one have this kind of joy? Reaching out to others. But here's the main reason why I think Joy is possible for you and for me, as it was for Paul. For the Christian, we have a glorious, glorious future with God. That's a message you don't get outside the church. That's the message of the church. The Lord of the dance will dance with us. The one that dances with us on this earth through our trials, through our temptations. We Christians have a future And how we think about that future determines how we act today in the present, whether we're always just kind of whining and moaning or or joyful, Um, that we have a future. And psychiatrists and psychologists have been telling us for years that people, uh, that mental, uh, emotional illness and uh, a lot of mental illness And even suicide comes from people who don't believe they have a future. Christians have a future because we know that life is not cut off at death. 
we know that there's an eternal life with God waiting for us. And I know Pastor John has uh, surely talked to you about Adam Hamilton. Uh, we've, Johnny and I have talked about it. And um, uh, one of the things that Adam Hamilton says all the time, in his, he always says it every Easter in his sermon, and he says it in lots of his other sermons. He has this one line he always says, the worst thing is never the last thing. The worst thing is never the last thing. That is our hope as Christians. And um, the New Testament talks about how Christ will come again. I don't know that we talk about that a lot in our churches, but it's there in the, in the New Testament that Christ will come again and receive us. And uh, this is what we believe as Christians, because every Sunday when we take communion and we use the liturgy from our hymnal, we say these words, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. That's what we believe as Christians. We have a future. But sometimes people misunderstand this future. Sometimes people are fearful of it or have anxiety about it. So, so Paul is trying in the whole New Testament in his words, and, and especially here in Thessalonians 4.1, Paul is trying to correct these dehabilitating misconceptions uh, about our life with God. And he's trying to prod people to live with joy. Now, I'm going to read this verse, but I'm going to read it from the Message Bible. He says, keep on doing what you do to please God. In other words, love God, love your neighbors yourself, be, love, love people, be kind, do the things that Christ taught you. Not in a dogged religious plod. In other words, don't go around and, you know, talk holy to everybody and, and just, be, just look holy. Not in a religious plod, he says, but in a living, spirited dance. In other words, joyfully, in a, in a spirit of joy, that's what Paul's talking about. This is the dance that you were made for. This is your original identity. God has designed you for this dance. God made you for this movement. You have God's imprint on you. You are made right here in 2017 for this movement here on earth. And I believe with all my heart that the secret to a joyful life is to do and be what God calls you to do and be. And I was just thinking, after 30 years of preaching, I hope I've touched somebody's heart to Christ in that time, but I was just thinking after all those years, um, if I could sum up one thing that I hope I got across, it would be this. Use your passion. God gave it to you. It doesn't matter if you're 22 or 92. If you're breathing, use your passion. Don't throw away the, God, the gift that God has given you. You only get one life. It's now. This is our time. This is our time for the movement. This is the only time we have. And the Lord of the dance, he's dancing a happy dance. We might be afraid of uh, failure, afraid of being made a fool of, but God's not dancing. God's not laughing. God's doing the happy dance for us. 
because we have found and are asserting our God-given gifts. And so if I could say one sentence to you, it would be this, well, actually two sentences, because the first thing I would want to say is the first commandment, love God and love other people. That's the first. And the second thing I would say is don't stop dancing. Maybe you're thinking, well, Paula, you, you don't know me. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I'm dealing with. And maybe you're not dealing with those things. So you, you couldn't know uh, how hard it is for me to think about anything right now but what I'm dealing with. Listen, no one, including the Bible, says we need to be Pollyannas. And it, no one says we can't worry and be concerned. If somebody tells you, uh, you just don't have enough faith, quit worrying, uh, you just have to have faith, they're not real. Because it's human in us to be concerned. We're human beings. It's human in us to sometimes worry. But our Bible and our faith and specifically our God has something to give us the church that the rest of the world does not give. And that is strength and courage for the living of these days and knowing that God is all awesome. And he is our strength, and he will see us through anything. Here's how Paul puts it in Philippians 4.11. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who strengthens me. I got to tell you, if somebody got up in the church today and made that testimony, I wouldn't preach because there wouldn't be anything that could top it. There's just nothing that could top that. It covers it all. And God is inviting you today, you and me, to live our life like that, trusting God in all things. Use your passion, the things that you love the most. Use that passion in this world and find a way to help others. It can be, it doesn't have to be grandiose. It can be as simple as saying to someone at the post office, I'm 84 years old, and I dance twice a week. And have a nice day, honey. That's all. I remember going to those high school dances back 100 years ago. And um, I remember that a lot of the guys didn't dance. You know, we were all trying to fit in then. And they either thought they were too clumsy or too shy or some of them just thought they were too darn cool. Don't settle for sitting on the sidelines because you just have one life. And that's what I want to remind you today. It's now. And you've been asked to dance with God, and this is the dance you were created for. So get in step with God and allow God to show you all that life was meant to be. But don't do it because the preacher said it. Do it because the Bible says it. And if you want to know where it says that in the Bible, it's all over the place. 
It's where Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and live it abundantly. It's that place where they learn, people learn to trust God and step out in faith. It's that place where they were, Jesus and the disciples were on a mountaintop and there were 5,000 people and there wasn't enough food. There was no food to go around. And Jesus says, Peter, you feed them. Well, Lord, you don't understand. <laughs> that take a day's wages. When, look around. We don't have anything. Jesus said, Philip, you feed them, Philip. And Philip, he didn't believe necessarily that it would work, but he obeyed. He followed what he had been given from Jesus. And he found a little boy with a lunchbox with five loaves, bread, and two fish. And to his amazement, not only did it feed 5,000, there were 12 baskets left over. This is a God of extravagance. This is a God who wants to take what you might think is the tiniest thing, and he wants to multiply it. This is the God who sits with his disciples in the boat, and they fished all night long. And Jesus said, and they got nothing. And Jesus said, cast your net on the other side. Well, Jesus, we don't mean any disrespect, Jesus, but come on. We are fishermen. We do this for a living. And, Jesus, we can tell you there's no fish out there. We've been out there all night. Uh, so no offense, Jesus. And Jesus said, cast your net on the other side. And, of course, when they did, they had to bring in more boats to load up all the fish. That's how extravagant our God's grace is. So here's the invitational question for you today. Where in your life can you follow? Where can you cast your net? And where will you dance? Amen.